So you decided you want to buy a gun, but how do you choose which one? You don't have time to test every handgun, rifle, and shotgun out there. NorCal Gun Vault can help you out. Yeah, the folks at work there are passionate about firearms. They hunt, they shoot. You can tell it's not just a job for them, and it shows in their ability to find the perfect firearm for you. NorCal Gun Vault is fully stocked with hundreds of handguns, rifles, shotguns, not to mention tons of ammo, dozens of accessories. Yeah, whether shooting is just a hobby, you're a hunter, or you're thinking about owning your first gun, NorCal Gun Vault has exactly what you're looking for. By the way, if cash is tight right now, but you really want to get a gun, NorCal Gun Vault will work with you to create a layaway program individually tailored to what makes sense for your budget. NorCal Gun Vault opens seven days a week, locally owned and operated. Check them out at NorCalGunVault.com. NorCalGunVault.com. It really matters when you're dealing with experts. Go to NorCalGunVault.com, NorCalGunVault.com. So before we get into this, I'm just going to read you a little excerpt of the Trump interview from the New York Times. I'm not focusing on the big newsmaking stuff, all right? I'll focus on that. I'm focusing on the other stuff. I'm just going to read you a tiny portion here. But Hitler, he wanted to consolidate, and he went in and it dropped to 35 degrees below zero, and that was the end of the army. But the Russians have great fighters in the cold. They use the cold to their advantage. I mean, they've won five wars where the armies that went against them froze to death. It's pretty amazing. Anyway, we're having a good time. The economy's doing great. <laughs> wow. I want one of those harnesses that NASCAR drivers wear. A standard seatbelt's not going to be enough. I got to give you more of that. It's unbelievable. He gets into this Napoleon Russian cold Hitler thing. Yeah. That's just amazing. God, the way his brain works is wild. It is. It is. And it's made him very successful. It has indeed. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of successful men and those full of insight, we welcome Travis Allen. He's an assemblyman in the state of California, specifically a Republican from the Huntington Beach area who's been vocal on the question of California's innovative and groundbreaking cap and trade legislation. Uh, Travis, how are you, sir? Good morning. How are you doing? Good. I used my slightly sarcastic voice there on innovative and groundbreaking. <laughs> that was prejudicial, and I apologize for it. Uh, but I take it you're not a big fan. Well, hey, I, I got oh, oh, to right. back way up. I got to tell you this, because I don't know about other people listening. I have no idea what it is. So you're going to have to start with it with what it that is. The was, very, indeed, that's the, the very, plan. The very basic. Re- realize you're talking to an idiot. Speaking no, for myself. No problem. Okay. Actually, that, you know, that's actually probably how Jerry Brown felt when he uh, talked to all the legislators that he just got to vote for this thing. So the story is cap and trade is what they call a carbon tax. It's a tax on emissions. And the concept is that if you tax emissions, uh, you have less uh, people putting carbon in the atmosphere. And if carbon causes global warming, then you have solved global warming. Well, and the addition, and, and additionally, the the idea of cap and trade is you get like to, to to be ridiculously simple about it. You can put the state of California can put a hundred pounds of carbon in the air, only a hundred. If you want to put a pound in, it's going to cost you. And if you want to put a pound in more than that guy does, you can buy his pound from him, and he'll find a way to innovate and and put out less pollution. So it caps the total amount, and then you can trade depending on how much uh, it, it is worth to you to pollute. And the world ends up with clean air, so what's the downside? 
But well stated, well stated. The problem is, is that when you do it in just one jurisdiction like California and not the entire world all at the same time, then a company that really doesn't like your rules just leaves and goes to another state. And what it really turns out to be is a massive, massive tax on companies and individuals because those companies get those increased costs, they pass them down to the individuals, and we get gas prices that go up by up to 73 cents per gallon, as well as utility bills that will be going up on the order of 10 to 30 percent and potentially even much higher. Do you think it's possible? Let's start with the uh, fairly utopian point of view. Do you think it's possible that cap and trade can significantly reduce emissions? And and then we'll get to the downsides, potentially. Uh, Well, let's, let's say this. In California, in any jurisdiction where you disincentivize an activity, uh, especially with a heavy tax cost. Yes, you can reduce emissions. Um, The next question becomes, have you changed global warming by doing that? And every expert, whether you're Democrat, Republican, independent, absolutely agrees that California could go to zero emissions and we won't affect global temperatures by even a tenth of a percent. Well, that seems worth sacrificing the economy of a seventh of the nation. A purely symbolic gesture. (sighs) So do do you think that's what's behind it? Is it what they call virtue signaling? It's just to show that we're good people and maybe a step beyond that in that you hope other people will uh, will will follow you, because if other people don't follow you, it really doesn't do any good. As a matter of fact, if other people don't follow you. It does you a whole bunch of harm. And that's exactly what it is. So Jerry Brown uh, has been traveling the actually the globe lately talking about uh, exactly this virtue signaling. And he's doing it on Californians' dime. So Jerry Brown might be wealthy, and you know he might own a city block in, in San Francisco, or at least so the rumors say. But ordinary Californians are just trying to get to work and feed their family and put food on their table. Uh, they're going to be saddled with this massive energy cost. California has more individuals um, in what they call energy poverty than any other state. Over a million people are live in what they call energy poverty, which is spending over 10% of your monthly income on your energy cost alone. Travis Allen, Assemblyman uh, from Huntington Beach, California, is on the line uh, talking about this uh, internationally uh, talked about and observed cap-and-trade program the state of California is trying to get going. I will tell you that the notably liberal Sacramento Bee has a rather even-handed look at it. And um, they do uh, they do make the point that Jerry is trying to emerge as a global leader on climate change. In fact, with President Trump pulling out of the Paris Accords, Jerry is positioned as the American leader of uh, fighting climate change, which is pretty attractive to a guy like Jerry. Uh, but they also. Well, they also mentioned how the, the business community is against it. And I tell you what, the idea is we'll make it so painful to admit that. People won't emit anymore, but they'll emit from Reno. See, that's what gets me, or Medford, Oregon, or or Tijuana. So, Travis, does anybody address that issue? Um, uh, the, the 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 people who are in support us, do they address the why businesses would stay and uh, and put up with this? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, you know these are all externalities, right, of this uh, quote unquote climate change leadership of Jerry Brown. The difficulty here is is that this policy, it doesn't change global temperatures. So it really isn't a global climate change policy. What it really is, is it's a tax scheme, and it's going to generate massive revenues. 
And directly to your point, you know, if California even goes to zero emissions, what's going to happen is any emitter will simply go to a different state or a different country, and they're going to do exactly what they're doing before. Uh, so the concept is, is that it, it is a, you know, I like the concept of us having clean air and clean water. I think, you know, reducing pollution is a very noble goal, but trying to put in a very complex tax structure, which causes companies to leave California and doesn't affect global temperatures, doesn't make any sense, especially when you're doing it with the money of ordinary Californians. So the state, which has been recognized a number of times as the most hostile to business in America, is just gotten significantly more hostile. <laughs> you could say that twice. Uh, just a couple couple months ago, Jerry Brown instituted the largest, passed the largest massive gas tax uh, increase in California's history. And then really just we're talking a couple months later, he, now he puts in cap and trade, the, the cap and trade tax scheme. So Californians within just a couple of years are probably looking at gas that is over a dollar more expensive than our neighboring states. Well, I believe in the whole laboratories of democracy thing, uh, states trying different things, and uh, then, then, then the other states can watch and see if they think it's a good idea or not. The problem with that is if you happen to live in one of the states where they're making one of these what you think is an awful right. decision. Or but... if what you're trying is stupid. <laughs> uh, Travis Allen is on the line. Travis, let me make the devil's advocate point. Well, maybe not the devil. How about I'm going to make the salmon's advocate point. Um, California, Jerry Brown. Is, is is showing others how it's done. It is a noble thing. It is a groundbreaking, innovative thing. It will shame other states and countries into doing the same thing. And, and indeed, uh, Jerry Brown is not some sort of anti-business idiot. Um, senile, and, and according to some broadcast reports uh, in the late stages of syphilis, I, I've heard that. Anyway, but he's not that. He is a brave leader who's going to be the first into the battle, and others will follow. What do you say to that? That's yes, leadership. Right. You know, to me, it just sounds like Jerry Brown is being very cavalier with Californians' money. The bottom line is that this scheme of his doesn't fix global climate change. And so this quote-unquote leadership that people are ascribing to him is actually a tax scheme that's going to generate massive new, new amounts of money. And you take a look. Jerry Brown right now is a four-term governor in California. Under his watch, California now has the highest poverty rate of any, of any state in the nation when you factor in cost of living. And, you know, the, this whole, you know, quote-unquote climate change leadership policy was sold under threat of a gun. And, and here was the threat that he used. He said to legislators, if you don't pass this climate change uh, massive cap and trade tax, what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow the regulators to simply regulate these businesses out of California and tell them that they cannot emit. There'll be no trading of emissions or anything. And it is this draconian, what they call command and control. And unfortunately, he got enough legislators to buy off on the threat and he passed a massive tax under the guise of trying to be a climate change warrior. Unfortunately, Californians don't, won't be changing the climate with this, uh, but we will be paying the bill. Final question, different topic, Travis. Is there any chance of killing the GD bullet train? <laughs> so, yeah, this is, this is really the bitter irony of uh, the uh, cap-and-trade tax. 25% of the revenue generated goes directly to his high-emitting bullet train to nowhere. 
Uh, this thing has been widely panned, actually, by environmentalists because it's going to put out so much of the, the greenhouse gases that Jerry Brown's worried about. And 25% of the money is capital. It won't. But wait a second. It's not, to be fair, it's not going to put out greenhouse gases because it's never going to exist. <laughs> I mean, and we know it's never going to exist. Yes, but they'll hand, hand out $100 billion to their allies. The craziness, of course, is that you've, wow, I didn't know that. So this cap-and-trade thing's getting national attention. Uh, you know, uh, the, the national cable news channels are talking about it. They don't know that part of it, though. That's amazing. So part of the money's going to the unicorn train right. that will never be built that is just a uh, an opportunity for a lot of people to make a lot of money. Hey, unbelievable. That's exactly it. That's, that's right. It, is, you know, it, it, it will be a zero. percent I guarantee you it will be a zero-emitting train, because there ain't going to be a train. <laughs> oh, well, I can't believe we spent all this time talking to a man who's against the idea of going from San Francisco to Los Angeles at half the speed and twice the money of just taking a damn airplane flight, because I think that's a brave new world. Jerry Brown's groundbreaking new technology, the choo-choo train. Travis <laughs> Allen, Assemblyman, a Republican, Huntington Beach. Thanks, Travis. Good to talk to you. Gentlemen, great talking to you. Yeah, keep fighting the good fight. I mean, what the hell? You might as well. We might as well. (sighs) If you live in California, it's painful. If you don't live in California, you get to watch and see what happens. And if it does hurt business, then other states won't try it. If it doesn't hurt business, in fact, it helps business, other businesses say, I want to be part of the leadership in this world to make the climate change go away. And then other states will adopt it. The devil's advocate argument I offered up is... A strong one. Sure it is. It is also utterly, hilariously naive that every other state in the union and then marching lockstep in righteous, you know, righteousness, <laughs> every other country on earth is going to do the same thing and soon we'll have, you know, hell, we'll all have to throw on a coat in August. We'll have global warming so under control. Well, I mean, it's just not happening. The, the entire United States could barely have an effect, right? let alone one state. Yeah, this, again, the state of California goes to zero emissions from now till the end of time. It would not change global warming by a tenth of a degree. Are you willing to sacrifice your economy on that, California? Well, the nation gets to watch and see what happens. Well, I'm asking California. I mean, you're gonna, seriously, you're going to keep voting for that? All right, fine. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Good luck. Uh, you know what? There's 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 no cure in stupid. Hey, we got more texts from people that are um, either are, have been, or have friends and relatives who are sucked into this whole opioid world. Yeah, and trying to get off it. It's everywhere. Everywhere. It Stay tuned. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Cash Creek Casino Resort wants you to tune in, turn on, and win big. Hey there, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Indeed. Everybody's favorite fascist, violent, mentally ill, scumbag teacher, Yvette Falarka of By Any Means Necessary, has been arrested for obviously, clearly being a violent thug. Uh, Those delicious details coming up. So, uh, I hate it hearing John McCain's got the brain cancer. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. I mean, it's terrible no matter what. But Yeah, he's a human being. 
regardless of politics or anything like that. If you've had cancer and uh, one out of two men and one out of three women and will in their lifetimes. Yikes. Anytime you hear the word, it uh, has an impact on you. My uh, One of my favorite uh, guitar makers in the world, Bill Collings of Collings Guitar, died of cancer last week. Oh, that's a shame. In his 60s and uh, just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, it wouldn't have before I had cancer. So it just, I don't know, just the way it is. We got this text. Um... Uh, from somebody who said John McCain is screwed. Statistically, there's no chance of uh, of getting over what he's got. So it's, I don't. I it's don't know. nasty stuff. It's the, it's the stuff that got uh, Bo Biden. I mean, it's it's just it's terrible. And wow. and John McCain is an old fella, right? Yeah, it's just sad. Yep, it is. Um, so that's that. Uh, we were talking about the opioid thing yesterday. Washington Post with a great long article over the weekend about cities in America. That have decided how much money do we want to spend on uh, on people that just won't stop ODing, they just won't stop overdosing. How many times do we show up to their house at great cost to the taxpayer and revive them? Right, and they've decided three's enough in some cases. <laughs> we'll do it three Take times. Three! And particularly this this drug, we were getting a bunch of texts say, "Why is this drug so expensive?" Because the Washington Post said this Narcan drug was forty five hundred dollars. I've been doing some digging into that. Like, there's. I think the, the, the applicator for the drug is where a lot of the cost comes from. I've seen some places saying that the drug itself is like less than 50 bucks. Yeah, I don't want to get hung up on yeah. that. I, I, I hate it when the media does this. I think they went with the most outlandish figure they could find under any circumstance right. to make a point. I'll bet you're right. And I wish they didn't because it doesn't have any effect on the, the actual the crisis. You can't have taxpayers sending paramedics and an ambulance to a house 30 times a year to save that person. You just right. can't afford it. Right. So the same question remains. Um, how much money do you want to spend on people? My stepson is a junkie, says this texter, went to rehab and uh, got out after two weeks, came home and used within hours of getting home, stole everything from his mother, stole his grandmother's vacation fund, went to another rehab, checked out early. His father's problem now, if his mother lets him back into our house, I'm filing for divorce. What do you do with a human like that? I don't know. How many uh, how many taxpayer dollars do you spend on that human being? And so so when politicians say we need, you know, we need more rehabs, we need to get them help. There are a gazillion there are way more examples of somebody going into rehab and coming out and doing it again than there are of people going into rehab and getting better. I so, think that may be the great unappreciated truth in all of this. They're incredibly low success rate. It's just it's just the way it is. I wish it wasn't that way, but it's just the way it is. Well, it's it's low for people who are desperate to quit. It is hilariously low for people who have no interest in being there and kind of had to. Right. Um, and then there's the, the, the part of that gets to the uh, cultural question that always exists with any sort of addiction of is it just lack of willpower, lack of character? Um, uh, is it something somebody can control or, you know, you were saying yesterday, well, their, their, their heroin wants to take more heroin. Their heroin addiction wants to take more heroin. They don't. So mm. to, to, to say that if they want to take more heroin, that's their problem. Um, I don't know how you answer those questions. I mean, <laughs> that's very difficult. But you got this person, for instance, I take four Norco a day because of my back. I work 50 to 60 hours a week. I'm sober and not addicted at all. I will take I will go Norco free some days to make sure there's no addiction issues. But those days are pretty painful. Yeah. I've been doing this for about 10 years. I know when I, the few times I've taken pain pills in my life, 
they make they give me an upset stomach and they make me feel bad. I know other people who take the exact same pain pill. The first time they take it, it's like the most awesome thing that ever happened to them. Wow. Clearly, they have a different physiology. Same, I think, with booze. Some people drink and it does something different for them than it does for other people. Some people, I think, drink and it's kind of, well, they get mildly relaxed or something and it's, it's just not that appealing. Mm. Um, for other people, it's the greatest thing that ever happened in their lives. Um it's cigarette smoking. I've tried to become a cigarette smoker in my life and couldn't. That's right. We decided that one of us had to have a really low voice yeah. so you could tell our voices apart. And Jack took the, well, he, he took on the task of becoming a smoker. I've smoked a fair amount in my life and just never developed a craving for it at all. Some people mm. smoke a little bit and they can't kick nicotine ever in their life. Yeah. I think it affects different people differently. I still don't know what you do with it as an issue. As a cultural issue, as a financial issue, as a health crisis, I have no idea. Well, you know, it's funny. Do we have time for this? Well, if you're going to be compassionate, to me, a reasonable level of compassion is you figure out who can be saved and helped and who cannot. And then you, in as sober, no pun intended, in reasonable way as you can, figure out where do we draw that line. Um some people can look at a problem in that way and say, there are a certain number of people we just won't be able to save. And it makes me sad, but that's just the reality I have to live with. And there are some people who will make gushing speeches about, you know, if it takes $10 million to save a single life, I think that's worth it. You know, I don't, I don't really think it's worth it. If it's that youngster we were talking about uh, before, young adult, who, who, who goes to rehab, doesn't try, gets kicked out comes, robs his parents, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, no, you can't have $10 million of tax money to, to make some extraordinary effort to save that person. It just, it, it, you can't. I know you want it, but you can't. Here's a great example of, of the thinking that bothers me. It came into my head. It really crystallized this morning. I was listening to the National Progressive Radio, which my tax dollars support for some reason. And the, uh, the host was talking to, um, I think it was a Republican congressman. Yeah, that's right. A Republican congressman who um, was voting against the uh, health care bill, et cetera, et cetera. And, oh, it was about the budget, come to think of it, the upcoming uh, budget talks. And the congressman was making the point, we have such enormous debt now, and this new draconian Republican budget continues to spend hundreds of mil- hundreds of billions of dollars. No, it's hundreds of millions per year. Hundreds of millions of dollars, billions per year, I think, um, more than we're taking in. So we're already in terrible trouble. And this bill, uh, this budget continues to spend way more than we're taking in. He said, we have to come to terms with that. The anchor says, but when you get down to brass tacks, what are you going to cut? Are you going to cut the welfare payments? for? And then he goes into the, the sob sister routine. Here's my problem with that. Maybe this whole sob sister thing is 100% correct, but you can't skip the broad principle. You can't jump over the broad principle to start quibbling against about the details. We have to agree on the broad principles of something before we quibble about the details. Do you see what I'm saying? If we all, if I mean, the, the guy's name's Steve, the anchor. Steve, for the love of the children and grandchildren, can we all agree we can't continue to spend more than we're taking in? Yes or no? 
Yes or no? But are you going to cut the the welfare payments to an armless four-year-old girl who's blind in one eye? No, no, no. You don't get to do that. Is it yes or no on the broad question? Once I get a yes, we can argue, we can fight like cats and dogs over how to fix it and how to... But. That, that that rhetorical dodge, now that I've really recognized it, I will never let it go. Jumping to the particulars so you don't have to admit to the broad principle. So I agree with that wholeheartedly. How does that yes. relate to the opioid crisis? Is there a limit to how much we can spend mm. to save junkies? Wow, yes is or no. Is there or isn't there? Yes or no, right. And if it's yes, then let's talk about the particulars. Where we draw the line. And maybe you draw the line way over there. You get to have that opinion, and I respect it. Society is currently saying, no, there is no limit. Right. In fact, Obamacare, that's how these fraudulent rehabs have popped up around the country. Spending zillions of your dollars. Obamacare says there's absolutely no limit to how much insurance companies will uh, will pay for right. going to rehabs. You can well, go to rehab over and over and over and over. limit it. <laughs> yeah, you can go to rehab over and over and over and over again, and there's no qualification on what's a rehab. And by the way, even the real rehabs don't work very often. So Right, and most of the quote-unquote rehabs that have popped up now are scumbags That's stealing taxpayer money. This is a tough nut to crack. Yeah. It is a tough nut to crack. I don't know what's going to happen with all this. And if you're saying, wait a minute, it's not taxpayer money, it's insurance company money. Number one, my non-economics understanding friend, number one, the insurance companies are passing on those costs to you, you fools. Number two, the federal government is issuing enormous bailouts to the insurance companies when they lose money under Obamacare. Tough nut to crack, and if you've got cracked nuts, they'll probably prescribe you opioids because the pain is excruciating. It's terrible. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? John McCain battling brain cancer could explain the senator's recent public confusion. And we've got a draconian West Coast crackdown on driving under the influence of electronics. Oh. Other states are watching this yeah. one closely. Boy. Well, and, and the savage, brutal, fascist teacher finally arrested. That we've talked about for a long time. All on the way. I want to hear every one of those stories coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Yo, 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 my catchphrase. How you doing? Uh, let's get the news now because we got some good stories here with Marsha Phillips. John McCain's Senate colleagues sending their best after the Arizona senator was diagnosed with aggressive brain cancer. The Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said McCain has never shied away from a fight and will face the disease with the same extraordinary courage that's characterized his life. McCain's best friend in the Senate, Lindsey Graham, talked with him on the phone last night. God knows how this ends, not me, but I do know this. This disease has never had a more worthy opponent. Now, Graham going on to say McCain had been complaining of double vision and some confusion over the past few weeks. Confusion that exhibited itself during former FBI Director James Comey's hearing, where McCain was trying to connect Comey's statements about Hillary Clinton's email server investigation and the Russian election interference probes. But you've reached the conclusion that there was no reason to bring charges against Secretary Clinton. So you reached a conclusion. In the case of Mr. Comey, you, uh, the President uh, Comey, uh, excuse no, sir. me, case of President Trump, you uh, have an ongoing investigation. Yeah, that was one of the more amazing things I've uh, ever seen, and it didn't make sense, and now it makes perfectly good sense. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, 
You know, aggressive cancer can be a good thing in the in the modern era. In that, sometimes aggressive cancer is treated better because it uh, it it attacks the medicine more aggressively than the slow growing cancer. Like things got reversed from way back in right. the day. Slow growing cancer often was uh, a good news. Aggressive was bad, and then when uh, like chemotherapy came along, aggressive can be good because it eats up the the poison and dies, whereas the slow growing stuff stays away from it. And some of the uh, statistics got flipped on their head. But the particular thing he has is uh, really, really, really awful. A new law in Washington State is going to be putting the brakes on using your phone while driving. The distracted driving law is going into effect on Sunday. And if caught, people will face charges of, quote, driving under the influence of electronics. Drivers are not permitted to hold a cell phone while they're driving. They cannot check a text message while it's stopped at a traffic light. And if they get a ticket... First one costs 136 bucks. Second offense within five years, $234, and it'll be reported to your insurance company. You know who checks their smartphone at a stoplight? Every freaking buddy. Everybody <laughs> at the front of every line I've ever been in. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Did you notice driving under the influence of electronics spells die? Think oh. about it. Oh, really? Um, I don't know if, is it realistic to have people never have their cell phone in their hand? No. Is it desirable? Mm, Probably yes. Uh, Is it also going to be an enormous uh, cash-making opportunity for governments? Yes. I get just as distracted with the freaking electronics in some of my cars as I do with the the cell phone. I mean, there's so many damn buttons and screens to go through Mm -hmm. to get to the AM band, for instance, and listen to your radio. Where real entertainment lies. Uh, But (laughs) why wouldn't it be treated the same as drunk driving? I guarantee you, I'm safer at a a .09, which is illegal. I'm safer at a .09 paying attention. Than I am staring at my phone. Because at least I'm looking at the road. Right. right. I yeah. guarantee you that's a, that's just an t- obvious fact. I'm telling you, teenage girls in my hood, teenage women, I, I noticed that in particular the last couple of weeks, three quarters of them are looking at their cell phones as they drive on the fairly small surface street. It's just one lane in right. each direction with a stop sign every few blocks. It's that sort of street. Three quarters of the young women, I would say ages 16 to 25, are looking at their smartphones as they drive on that road. Something's got to be done. It's something severe, like banning the use of phones completely in cars. Something that that will actually work. I, I don't know what else to do, just because of human nature. And under this law in Washington State, officers can also now issue tickets for things like eating behind the wheel Smoking or putting on makeup. Smoking? That's one of the things they can What, am I got a three-foot bong in my lap? What do you mean smoking? <laughs> well, that gets to the ridiculousness yeah. of it, though. If you're going to say you can't have a cell phone in your hand, even though I'm not doing anything, right. how right. can you allow having a cup of coffee in your hand or a cigarette in your hand? Or, or the classic banana, holding a banana up to your ear. Right. Anyway, that's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips here. I'm Strong Getty Show, the voice of the West. A berserkly California teacher who smashes people's faces who she disagrees with politically has finally been arrested. The delicious details coming up. Awesome. I got to read some more from Trump's interview at the New York Times. Not the big newsmaking stuff that you're talking about. I'm talking about the other stuff. His We're going to give you the stuff nobody cares about. <laughs> the, the stray <laughs> thoughts that are so entertaining about the way his mind works. 
Well, and I'll hit some of the important things, Jack. All right. <laughs> yeah. He did. Uh, he doesn't like his his attorney general. He chucked him under the bus. Right. His he, sitting attorney general. He went after Mueller, who's investigating him. Right. Good boy. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. So we have a little bit of breaking news. I do want to uh, maybe uh, top of the hour, 804, I'll hit you with some of the Trump interview stuff from the New York Times. The, non- the non-headline stuff that's, that's still interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah President of the United States and the way his mind works, works it's just fascinating. In a, in a conversation where he just goes, zoom, different directions and then back to the original topic. And Well, and Michael, at some point today, I'd like to hear America's hottest band, Portland's Radio Macbeth, if you can do that. America's hottest band. Yeah. I'm so telling you, my son gonna, happens to be. In. They're going to become a giant hit star, and you're going to be talking to lawyers. <laughs> no, I'll be fine. It's music. Everybody loves music, right? <laughs> All right, a couple things really quick. Breaking news! Breaking news! Uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions says he loves his job and will continue. Well, see, Trump said he wouldn't have hired him if he'd known he was going to recuse himself, himself from the Russia thing. That was the the news making part of the New York Times interview. That's right, and he shouldn't have recused himself. Can you say Elfin Attorney General Jeff Sessions? Yes. Elfin Attorney General Jeff Sessions has said he loves his job and will continue to serve, quote, as long as that is appropriate. Now, that's a statement. You know, I'll continue to do this job as long as it's appropriate. <laughs> Joe, we fired you three weeks ago. We really need you to stop coming in and talking into the microphone. It's not turned on. It's not connected to anything. Nobody's listening. Now, I think I'll keep coming in, even though it's inappropriate. So Jeff Sessions, Elfin Attorney General Jeff Sessions, is going to continue to do his job as long as that is appropriate. Okay. And that's his ringing statement. So my favorite note that I've seen come out of this, I'm trying to track down audio, but uh, apparently as the Q&A wraps up, someone shouts, are you concerned you'll be seen as a zombie attorney general? <laughs> what? That's so, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to track down audio. Of that. That's great. And this is great, too. There's a woman who uh, who is a school teacher, which is really nightmarish, in uh, Berkeley, California, the communist enclave by the bay. Um and this woman, Yvette Falarka, believes if she disagrees with you politically, she gets to smash your face in and bloody you and beat your head in. And and then she says, well, it's OK that I smashed in people's heads for their political beliefs because they were fascists. That is an irony that only the stupidest among us could not grasp. But this woman and her people are awful and they are absolutely fascists. Although I do not recommend you bust their heads unless they try to bust yours because political violence of any sort is abhorrent. Anyway, uh, she was one of the leaders of a big giant riot uh, on the Capitol uh, grounds in Sacramento, California, back, uh, I guess, last June. Um, and uh, the, the CHP has been studying the video and talking to people and the rest of it. And they announced uh, she was arrested on Tuesday on charges of assault by means of force likely to inflict great bodily injury, participating in a riot, and inciting a riot. I'm telling you, white folk are ready to riot! Uh, She is due in court on Friday, and we can only hope she is jailed for a very long time because she is a savage, vicious, delusional person who is probably not mentally quite healthy. Why did it take so long? (sighs) 
I don't know. Were they not going to do anything until there was enough public pressure that they finally had to do something? Is it one of those, or is that just the wheels know. of justice grind that slow? I honestly do not know, because they've been saying all along they're investigating, they're looking, they're looking at videotape, talking to people. It could be, and and I'm going to take the, uh, the pro-CHP point of view here, because I have no reason not to, based on what I've heard. They wanted to make sure they had enough evidence to nail the scumbag. And so they've been taking their time. But wasn't she involved in multiple melees after YouTube videos surfaced the first time? Mm, yeah, but I don't remember, you know, how provable it was or in what regard. Her her buddy, the uh, college professor, got arrested and I'm hoping convicted and put away for a long time for smashing people's heads with a big heavy padlock during the Milo Yiannopoulos uh, argument. Uh, smash! 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 Wearing a, a mask. Yeah. And, 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 of course, their people beat down innocent people who are just watching because they want to ratchet up the level of violence and bring a revolution. But, of course, if you're a progressive like they are, you don't condemn their violence, well, for whatever reason. So, oh, oh, it's because you have no principles. So John McCain's got the horrifying uh, brain cancer, like it's uh, it's awful, and uh, it's probably you know why he sounded really confused at the uh, Comey hearings. So we got this text. When McCain sounded confused in the Comey hearings, a lot of people thought it was funny to mock the old man. Nobody's mocking him now. I guess brain cancer isn't as funny as dementia. Boy, from a uh, humorist. Um, Social amateur sociologist standpoint that is pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it is, but I have a response to that. Do um, you? I absolutely do. I am more than happy to defend my previous mockery. Okay, which which was not very mocking mockery. Mine was. Yours was. I'll defend Jack's mockery right after the news, and then some more of uh, Trump's interview at the New York Times. Just want to hit you with some highlights. It's, it's fascinating the way the minds the man's mind works. Yep. In a freewheeling session with the New York Times. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show.